Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives. On this episode, we're going to set up the epic NHRA In N Out Burger finals and talk about what went down in Vegas. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. A fast and controversial weekend in Nevada sets up one of the most epic NHRA finals in the history of the sport. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a by a day and a half. Both Vance and Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Had a week off last week because we were in Las Vegas. Tony and I were both on the NHRA stage at the SEMA show, talking to movers and shakers in the industry, talking to those folks making headlines, and talking about really everything that went on, not only during the weekend in Vegas, but what we should be looking forward to for this NHRA In-N-Out Burger Finals at In-N-Out Burger Pomona Drag Strip coming this weekend. Um, weather's looking good. Storylines are thick as thieves. Everything about this race has set itself up to be absolutely amazing in its conclusion of the season. In its conclusion of the Camping World era as a title sponsor in NHRA Drag Racing, of course, they're sticking around, but it is going to be the Mission Foods NHRA Drag Racing Series season beginning in 2024. So when we talk about Vegas and, and all the stuff that went on, the... Um, you know, the overriding thing there, there was there was some controversy that happened over the course of qualifying. We opened the show, of course, in the pits of Bob Tasker III talking about the headers. Uh, Tony Pedregon is going to join me on this show. We're going to talk a lot about that kind of behind-the-scenes stuff, kind of what went on, the nuts and bolts and mechanics, not physically of, you know, fitting a car through a fixture, but kind of what went on, got the likes of Bob Tasker all riled up and got a bunch of people riled up. Um, it was a weekend of great performances. It was a weekend where, in some cases, the status quo was maintained with Gage Herrera, who is on just an absolute tear right now, dominating the pro-stock motorcycle category and all but winning the championship in Las Vegas. It was Erica Enders, of course, winning in pro-stock. It was Robert Height getting the job done in Nitro Funny Car, and it was Mike Salinas throwing a wrench into the works, if you will, of the top three points runners in the top fuel category. Now, he has not achieved the top three points finish yet, but with that win, he has put himself into a position where we can't really leave him out of the conversation. He might not be front page news coming in to Pomona, but he will be discussed. He is in the newspaper because if things break his way, he could win a title. Same could be said for Justin Ashley, who made that final round. But it was another amazing funny car battle. We saw Bob Tasker III, who again began the morning in a pretty perturbed condition and then finished the day with a runner-up finish to Robert Height, a guy who has uh, certainly served as his foil throughout this season, and maybe he has served as Robert's foil. Meanwhile, Matt Hagen comes into the finals with a very slim, funny car points lead, but we got three cars within a round of competition. In that pro-stock uh, category that I mentioned, it was Erica Anders doing what she has done now 10 times in Las Vegas, taking a victory at really a critical point in the season placing her 114 or so points ahead of Greg Anderson. And um, as somebody who races the way she races and, and how hard and, and efficient they are, it really does not seem that's a surmountable lead. But we've seen crazier things happen. Tony and I will talk about some potential scenarios that KB Titan can employ to do anything they can to throw a last-minute kind of Hail Mary. Among the big stories that came out of the SEMA show, the announcement that Del Worsham will be in a Nitro Funny Car for the NHRA Finals. CP Piston stepped up to sponsor Dell for this race. He said to his wife one day, he said, I, I got to run the finals. 
And so, lo and behold, he is. It'll be a second car to Alexis DeJuria. It'll have a GR Supra body on it. It'll have the good parts. It'll have the good stuff. And frankly, it will be as good as any funny car out there with a guy who has won titles, of course, in the Nitro Funny Car and Top Fuel ranks. He was able to recruit a crew out of California to come down and run the car. Um, this is a crew that uh, has worked with uh, Chuck Beal and among others. Um, and it's an experienced crew that knows what they're doing, and he will be uh, tuning on both cars to get them both uh, as qualified as best as they can. So that's a storyline, and that could provide a, a definite wrinkle in this championship conversation. If Dale goes out there and starts busting skulls over the first couple of rounds, you never know what he's capable of doing. And uh, what another kind of interesting last-minute storyline that certainly adds to the pot. Um, you know, the SEMA show was really good. Uh, it was packed. There was a great NHRA presence there. Our booth was busy all week long. We talked to so many people, so many race teams, so many folks who were involved in the sport. And there's an overriding kind of excitement um, that is surrounding NHRA right now. The Mission Foods announcement, the announcement uh, forthcoming, I should say, of some new full-time cars that are going to be coming into the ranks. Whether we're talking about pro stock and the fuel categories, uh, you're going to be hearing in the next four to six weeks of multiple new entries, um, and one of which you may expect another one that you're going to like rub your eyes and say, no way. So there's a lot of great energy. There's a lot of great stuff that is happening right now, bubbling just below the surface. It does appear that all the controversy of Vegas is behind us. Um, that that was it happened. It was done. I think Tony and I are definitely going to touch on it because it was such a, a talking point over the weekend. Had some reverberations post race, and we'll discuss kind of what we experienced from our end of that whole scenario and kind of what our thoughts uh, are on the entire scene. But this will be, uh, for me anyway the most tension-filled finals I have ever been to, I have ever covered, not only as uh, a guy here on the NHRA and Fox broadcast, but as a journalist that's been covering the sport for many years, and as a guy who was a PA announcer when I first started doing this stuff with NHRA, uh, all of the elements are in place for us to have an incredible weekend. Weather is stout. NHRA has stepped up big to honor veterans over the course of this weekend. You're going to hear a lot about those initiatives as the weekend kicks off. Uh, maybe you've already heard that In-N-Out Burger uh, free burgers for veterans, uh, which I think is a great uh, a great gesture, a great token for a company that always seems to do the right thing. Um, but beyond all that, we're talking flyovers, we're talking special shirts, we're talking challenge coins, we're talking going the extra mile to honor those folks who have sacrificed for our country and for our own safety and well-being and for the betterment of our sport. There are so many veterans involved in drag racing on not only just as fans, but as people participating, racing in, wrenching on cars. It's a whole scene, and NHRA is uh, going to do it right when we get to the NHRA In-N-Out Burger Finals this weekend. I'm fired up, uh, fired up for a multitude of reasons, and fired up just to see how this whole thing is going to end. Rather than ramble on by myself, I think it's time for me to bring on Tony Pedragon, and we can lay out not only what happened in Vegas, but lay, on, lay out exactly what we think needs to happen, how it needs to happen, why it should happen, and who it should happen to, when it comes to the NHRA In-N-Out Burger Finals at Pomona. Without further ado, let's bring on Tony Pedregon. Good morning. I've been toughing it out here in Southern California, and uh, it's tough. It's tough <laughs> every day. 75 degrees, sun shining on you, <clears throat> radiation. <laughs> one of these days, one of these days, you're going west and not coming back. I'm convinced of it. I, I think I seriously think about it, especially when I land back in India after the last race. 
So let's talk about Vegas. We didn't have a show last week. Obviously, you and I were occupied at the SEMA show on our stage talking to racers and industry uh, personalities, which was a pretty good opportunity. But let's talk first about Vegas. And, you know, I think we got to touch on some of the stuff that happened maybe off the racetrack and then talk about the implications that it had on the track. You know, specifically, I guess the two big stories coming out of the race that didn't involve drag racing itself were the pro stock runs that were disallowed because of a wiring situation. And then of course the header deal with Tasca. So, um, when I look at these two things, I look at two of the racers that were affected by it, both making the final rounds in their respective categories. So in that, in that side of things, it didn't seem to have a huge measurable effect. No, not when the dust settled. And I think the best part of the, the Tasca incident is the fact that you know you can you can call it controversial or you can say look in black and white this car did not get through the fixture okay so there's a couple of different ways of looking at yeah. it of course there's always the racers argument there's always NHRA's position and they have to make those tough decisions but when the dust settles it doesn't appear that this championship will be determined by six points or yeah, yeah. Uh, you know maybe twelve but but not the six that flipped when they had to make that decision. And when you break, break it down in black and white, um, and even with Erica's, there has been, and one of the interesting interviews that I did at SEMA was with Lonnie Grimm. No one has filed a protest. No one is really, so, so literally the dust has settled, and I think the teams are moving forward. And, you know, of course, the headers, we saw how they fixed that. We saw the funny video that's circulating through social media. And uh, I'm sure that the next uh, several sets of headers they make they will, they will have that, whether it's an inch or a half inch, uh, whatever it is, to, to allow them, you know, that latitude. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Lonnie Grimm, for those of you that are listening that don't know, is the NHRA's national tech director. So, um, you know, he's really in, in many ways the boots on the ground. I mean, people, there are a bunch of people, of course, in the tech department at these races, but he ends up being the guy that um, will do, you know, say to his guys, all right, we're doing spot checks on this. We're checking this today. And he's ultimately the guy that is responsible for looking somebody in the eye and saying, uh, this ain't going to cut it. So he is definitely a good source to chat with on stuff like this. Yeah, and I think also another thing is is with the chain of communication yeah. between the NHRA and the racer. And, you know, I think that in a, in a way that this is somewhat of a good sign is that we are getting to the stage where, you know, the stakes are higher. Yeah. They're coming down to, you know, the last race or two. And, you know, some of these things are starting to rear their heads. So I'm sure that while we're going through some of these things, the next time uh, – this comes around it's it's going to be efficient it's going to the communication is going to be better between the racer and the nhra and then and then providing the proper and the the accurate uh and full disclosure to our fans because they're always curious they want to know it's part of the sport they see that a team is penalized so i think all three of those components is is we're going to see some improvement moving forward yeah we're definitely in my opinion as well we're going to see changes and and that'll happen in the off season and, and that'll happen at the you know a couple of pay grades above ours but you know in in my estimation i look at you know I, you, you can't look away from the nascar system because to me it's the most comprehensive it's the most informative um you know basically it's scheduled you know you 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 will find out on a sunday night that this racer did not pass post-race inspection and then you're guaranteed to find out on wednesday what the penalty is or what the infraction was and they will go right down to the letter of the rule book and say it was you know section five page 28 paragraph c um and just kind of show that stuff so you know it's it, it look as you mentioned it, it's a potential change in course for us to a degree 
but I also don't think that it is something that um, I also don't think it's a bad thing. It's it's a crummy it's a crummy situation to be in the middle of when you're at the race. But when we look at the long term implications of it, I do think this will be a positive move forward for us. And to your exact point, this was this does not this is not a big deal unless it carries a lot of implications with it. So you know the increased pressure and the increased intensity is a good sign. It is, and I think the thing that the sport understands is this thing called transparency. Yeah. And and I got to say, and I, I have to once again give a lot of credit to Glenn Cromwell and to Steve Righteous, our our producer. You know, we have our opinions, yeah. um, and and they're they're not filtered. I mean, we are loud, and we yeah. are encouraged to say and and engage in some of those controversial discussions and and it's not you know it's not it's not taken off it's not taken away in fact i i spoke with glenn after and you know we kind of talked about uh, you know and sometimes i think that i i try to still even provide to them the racer's perspective because there are times that the racer comes out in me and and i and i would say i a person like myself and yourself would give a very unbiased opinion because you know there's there's nhra's position um, there's the racer and, and there's what is at stake. And it just came at a time where, you know, emotions are really high because of everything that is going to come down to at the finals. But, but I can't compliment the sport for, you know, for allowing us, uh, you know, to provide our analysis, uh, our color, our opinions and communicate that you know, to our audience. Yeah. And, and just to put a point on it, you know, the one thing that nobody was yelling about was that these decisions that were made by tech were somehow unfair or were somehow biased. So, you know, that's out of all of this, that is the one thing that never even surfaced. There was not a single person that said, well, you're doing this to me because you want X, Y, Z to happen, or you're punishing me because you want this guy to win. Ultimately it was never that. And I think it just goes back to that root, that root point of chain of command, uh, communication whatever it is and so and the last thing i'll say is i don't think four or five years ago when i first my first year when i got this job and started working with you if this situation happened we would not have opened our show on sunday morning in bob Tasca's pit area with those headers as our central point i agree and i think that as we continue the the ratings increase some of our big shows become even bigger i think that the sport understands that the viewer is number one, the fan, the audience, and we have to grow that. And we're not fabricating anything. This is all, these are all things that happen on the racetrack. And it is our job to bring that, you know, to, to light. And, and it's just part of the story. It's part of the drama. And when it's all said and done again, I, I think that it, while it may have seemed controversial and while I think some of the communication between the NHRA and the team, and if there was a one hour delay, for them to make a decision, you know, the, the decision is still what it was, yeah. you know, is the fact that we did see that, um, that Aaron Brooks had to, uh, you know, hit those headers in with a rubber mallet to provide the right, the proper amount of clearance. So, uh, I think it's all good. And I do believe that the teams have moved forward. And yes. when you look at what happened to the elite team, it's, it's a, it's a technicality, but you know, it's like you and I talked about the rules are the rules. They have to be enforced whether it's at the beginning of the year in the middle or at the end when you know things seem to be well, a lot seems to be on hand yeah it's a very high-pitched environment so let's talk about the vegas race a little bit and you know there, i'm not trying to gloss over anything but look um 
you know, Gage Herrera, the only thing that prevented Gage Herrera from wearing a white hat and leaving with a trophy was his teammate making the final, <laughs> you know, and maybe it was a good thing. Um, you know, maybe Eddie did him a favor because now he'll go to his home racetrack. His entire family's going to be there and he'll be able to kind of celebrate this moment, which if my math is correct, he will celebrate it the second that his bike takes the stage beams in qualifying session one. He's 181 points up. But, you know, I, when I look back at Gage and the whole story and how it happened and Vance and Hines, and, and let's go back. Let's go back the last couple of years for Vance and Hines. I mean, I, I don't know how many people were feeling sorry for them. I, I don't think a lot, but you know, they had a tough. They really had a tough go. And you know, I know that they're you know they're holding meetings that uh, Vance and Hines are not invited to. But you know, when it's all said and done, these guys made a decision. It's almost. It, it almost seems like they they drafted a, a quarterback in the twenty second round. You right. know, nobody else was looking. Nobody else was thinking. And this is one of the things, what I love about this story so much is when you look at a lot of the professional teams, you have an owner that drives the car, you have yes. uh, you know, somebody that brings money to, the, money to the table. This is a true story about hired talent, a, a writer that was given an opportunity and that has complimented the team. The team has complimented him. So this is where I would like to see the sport in the future. It's, it shouldn't be about money. It shouldn't be about anything else other than if a driver has talent and gets in that car and wins, and many of them do, more power to them. There's nothing wrong with that. There's not even anything wrong with someone being financially well off right. to the point that they could uh, they could buy themselves uh, an arriving driver. They can buy a team and, and have success. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't forget about the guy like Gage Herrera that brings talent, that grew up around it, that paid attention that had some talent and and provided results and and the more the more I talk to Andrew Hines and the more I dig into this story, you know the guy has talent and that bike wasn't winning last year. In fact, they were getting getting beat up on by by, by Matt Smith. Yeah. So so everything about this story is great. Good for him. The more power to him. I think the competition is going to catch up. Um, so I so they should enjoy it. Now, will they dominate next year? I think they're going to have a tougher go at it because Matt Smith will be on a different machine, and and I'm sure the competition they're going to make some adjustments over the off season. But uh, I just I, I'd love to see it come to an end. It's not going to surprise me if Gage Rare is in that winner's circle. The only question is how is he going to do it? He we saw those record runs. He reset the track record in Vegas at 2,000 feet. What can they do at Pomona with these cool conditions that we may see? Yeah, it's um, you know, it's something. I ran the numbers this morning, and if he wins the race, he'll have a round record of 50-4 and four, uh, this season, the, and that is a 92% win percentage. Now, when Dave Schultz had his epic season of many in 1994, there was a, it was a shorter season. Um, he was 40-2, and two, which is a 95% uh, win percentage. So, you know, to me, if you add the additional races, um, you look at who he's competing against, I feel like he's on the level of, of that type of season. And, you know, the last thing I'll say is this, and this is a, this is a, a rumor-esque, uh, something I brought up on stage, and I thought Eddie was going to strangle me with the microphone, but they – Vance and Hines had another rider who, uh, out of respect for the team, I'm not going to name, but had another rider on Eddie's bike, and there is some rumors – that Eddie may step away from a full-time riding role next year. Now, there's also rumors that those guys may roll out a third motorcycle at times of a different a different layout, of a different style, um, to kind of look at some of these other available combinations in the class. But, you know, to, to go back to the Gage Herrera story, they're investigating another young 
very talented guy who has not necessarily been on the best equipment who may be able to bring to the table the same things Gage did. And the last thing I'll say this before I throw it back to you is that the Mission Foods deal is something that, to what you talked about, is something that can start to bring that to fruition. Because when we look at that when we look at the sponsors we have had, and, and, and Camping World has been a godsend for us. They came in at a moment where we could not have needed them more. And they came in and they delivered for us, and they've been a great series title sponsor, and they're going to stay with us to do a lot of high-level things. But when we go to a consumer brand, and that consumer brand is going to be activating drivers, who do I want in the seat of my car? I want people who are vivacious, who are young, who are marketable, because I want to take advantage of this activation. So I think that is another element to this mission deal that some people may miss in that there is now a lot of incentive to put somebody in your car, to put somebody on your bike that can be sold to the public, that can help elevate your team. All the way around, it's a great thing. And, you know, some of these drivers and some of these riders are going to learn. And some of them that have already been there that were here in the days of, you know, of course, Powerade and then it, you know, transitioned to Mellow Yellow. But you know, Mellow Yellow wasn't the greatest brand, you know, no, no disrespect to Coca-Cola. Um, but, you know, you look at their competitors and, and uh, the, the brands that they had. But when you go back to a Powerade, and, and this is something I think is going to be a little bit new to some of the drivers, it takes work. You know, yeah. they're going to be, Mission Foods is going to be very selective who they send to market, where, what market they send those particular drivers to but it takes work it's going to take that personality it's going to take the the charisma the star power and and the brand behind it so i I think just all together it's great and um you know i think if a lot of those these drivers are willing and it sounds like they're very excited about it they're going to have to go into those markets not on a thursday maybe on a wednesday maybe during a three to five appearance and that's where you have to connect if there's fans that show up if they have a radio remote great but most importantly, connect with the the, uh, the store manager, the employees, and better help help better develop that relationship. And if there's fans there, then that's where you do your work. It, it takes a lot of years. You go back to how was John Ford successful? <laughs> a lot of match races, good personality, charisma. He was winning races. All of these things helped him become the star that he is. So I hope some of these drivers, and I think, some of these drivers are up to the challenge. I, I believe that. And, yeah, we're going to see a lot more advanced media like weeks before a race sending people in for a day or two, doing that that outreach stuff that really hasn't gone on for a long time. And, yeah, just to, to put just to put an end to your point on force, you know, the reason why these drivers of the 70s became such iconic figures in the sport was not because they would race at the eight national events a year. It's because they would race every week or three times a week somewhere. And it was like vaudeville. You know, these guys, these guys became famous the old fashioned way by shaking hands, by showing up to XYZ drag strip and almost running off the end every time because the place was too short to have them there. But they connected with those people. So when they got to the national event level, the, the, the pump was already primed. And the more we get back to getting people into these markets early, getting people in front of fans, as you said, in these one to one or small batch situations, it's the old school way to do it. But it's going to be a way that uh, that's huge. And and the last thing I'll say is I was at the national track operator meeting on Monday and had a lot of good conversations with some of our national event tracks. And the folks from Mission were there and talked about what their plans are going forward, which are very exciting. And one of the biggest things, Tony, is that you know when they make these stand-ups of the drivers and when they do all this stuff, the drivers are also allowed to maintain their primary sponsors. It's not like when you see a guy in the store, he has a generic fire suit on with no sponsorship <laughs> on it. And that's a, that's another big thing. 
It is. I, and I, I think that everything about it is good. And it shows, I think the, the signs are the, the domino effect that it has, they're all good. Camping world stays, mission foods yeah. comes in it's bigger, better activation. It, it engages the driver and the teams more. So here's the opportunity guys. You know, it's like do your homework in the off season. I know there's a big weekend coming up, but after that, take a little time, enjoy yourselves and then get to work. If you're a driver, make some improvements in your in your ability, your talent in the seat. But outside of the car today is is almost becoming just as important, if not yeah. more important, than what a driver can do. And uh, if you look at IndyCar, you look at NASCAR, what, yeah. how does a driver land himself? You no longer just have to have talent. That was 20, 30 years ago. You have to bring talent. You have to bring some financial backing unless you unless you bring some with you. Um, you have to be able to string a few sentences together yeah. and and just be honest, be genuine. I think all of these things moving forward and this, you know, I know that the, what triggered this was the Gage Herrera thing, but I, I just think it's the perfect scenario where you have not not even necessarily a younger driver, but just a, a driver that is able to fill that spot that has talent. And that is young, that is modest. Uh, not everybody's going to be modest, but just a different personality, a new face, and somebody. When it's all said and done, got to win on the racetrack, and and that's you know that's why we talk so much about Gage Rare. And so let's move to Pro Stock. And I am not bragging on our ability to potentially predict the future, but you and I both looked at each other when Erica went to Pika and said they're screwed. We looked at each other and said this is bad news for everybody. And as it turns out, that's exactly what happened. I mean, it was it was a slow march, but here we go. We go into the final. She's like 115 points up. You know as well as I do, she is not giving 115 points back to anybody, especially Greg Anderson. No, Greg's the closest. You know, Kyle Koretsky had a car, finally had a race car that could beat her. But you know, when you go back in in pro stock, you go back to each race, each individual race, and how it went down. It's it's the same story. It's the song remains the same. When they get close, they might get a dig or two in every now and again. But the majority of the time, if they're close and they've been close, they've had a car that has been a little bit quicker at times. But the song remains the same. It's like that Led Zeppelin song. She will beat you on the starting line every time. Every time, even the young drivers, yeah. even the Stanfields, the right. Troy Coughlin, you know, the Kyles. It's like guys, you're dropping the ball, and it's like it's like watching a football game. Like I was watching last night. It's like what what is going on? You guys are pros, <laughs> but and not to take any credit away from Erica. Uh, you know the way she won the Las Vegas race. I, I don't like. To see a Jed Coughlin Jr. come back, shut the cough, that doesn't make any sense. I think that Erica will dust everyone off by herself. I just, I don't understand, you know, teams just shutting the car off because she's going to win anyway. She's getting off the line ahead of you. She's outrunning you. Why shut the car down? It, it's just like taking something shiny and, and just taking a little bit of that shine off. But here again, not to take any credit away. She runs the table on them, and I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not in a post-stock car, but I look at some of those drivers, and, you know, Dallas Glenn was in it. Uh, it's just – and I know it's not an easy thing. When you yeah. look at a top fuel funny car, Nitro, you know, the driver has to be in sync with the car. And when you go back and you look at Dallas, it's like, wow, that, that car just didn't perform. And, you know, I know from my experience in driving all those years with John Forrest, driving for a multiple car team, you, as much as you try to dupe 
replicate the setup of a car um, doesn't work. You know, yeah. every driver yeah. does things a little different. When you look at a Bo Butner, it's like you wonder, well, it's the same team. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's been that to me has been the biggest question mark of the season almost in pro stock. I mean, how is that guy in eleventh? You know, and, and I realize the competition's really good, but damn. Say, wow, is she that much better? I don't think so. Look, Bo Butner is a championship winning driver. He continues to, to keep himself sharp when he gets in, you know, competes in the sportsman, some of the other sportsman categories. This guy wins races. So, you know, it makes you really wonder what the inner workings of elite are you know everybody brings money to the table to some degree on some level and her car outperforms her teammates cars uh on a consistent basis once in a while you'll see you'll see aaron jump up and he'll compete with her and every now and again troy jr and you, you can't tell me that 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 pool of talent is not as good. They don't have as much talent as Erica. So it really makes you wonder. She just has the better car. It seemed like it seems on the outside as if her car gets the most attention and it shows on the racetrack. I mean, look, I, 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 there's this really, you look at numbers a lot. We do too. I mean, we all look at the numbers and you know, there are certainly times when it looks, when it's kind of just to your point, you're looking at this field of cars, you're looking at this fleet and it's like, well, why don't why doesn't if she goes out there and runs three hundreds better than somebody, then why doesn't everybody pick up the three next round? And, and to your point, if the guy runs a shifter into the rev limiter, if the guy you know shifts it early, whatever happens, floats the clutch off the starting line, these are all things that can cost you incremental time. But yeah, I mean, consistently, that is definitely the flagship car of the fleet, and um, you know she is statistically off the starting line, you know, really better than anybody else in that team over the course of a long season. So you can't take anything about that away from her and. And look, I, I she's not up there giving these guys the tune-up calls either. You know, she's getting in a race car, she's getting in a race car and, and driving it to the best of her ability. So, yeah, I mean, it, it leaves questions to a degree, but also at, on the, over the course of a full season, it's like you had your chance, you know. And, and Greg Anderson goes out there and wins the first two races of the countdown, and it's like, okay, well, this is actually this is actually going to turn into something. And then she goes on and and strings together. I think it was like four semifinals in a row, and then wins the race. So. It was consistency, and then, of course, it was the race win that really vaulted her over the top. So we're going to watch that play out. Um, she's going to probably, what, have to go a round or two or something like that, but honestly, we know how that's going to go. The only question remains is if anybody's going to try to, you know, anybody's going to try to, to slide tackle her here in the first round, which they have to. They don't have an option. But you and I talked about it in Vegas. The problem that KB has about this is you have four of the five guys, you have four or five cars in the top five. So when you look at Matt Hartford, you say, hey, would you mind, uh, you know, maybe try to get her first round? I would tell him to screw because I'm third in the points, man. I'm having the best yeah. season I've ever had. You want me to take, you want me to do that now? No. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's not going to be easy. And when when you, you see different sponsors and, and it's called a conflict of interest, they, nobody's yeah. going to step forward and say, hey, we'll be a nice guy. Not, not everybody is going to be a Troy Coffin Jr. and say, I'd be more than happy to do whatever it takes to push this car to not everyone has that approach and has that attitude because you know they're bringing money from different directions yeah. uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out but i don't disagree with you and it would it really would be in the best interest of a kyle koretsky it would be in the best interest of dallas glenn so it just seems like uh it'd kind of be like boarding a flight are there any volunteers the voucher has gone up 
from twelve hundred dollars to two thousand dollars. <laughs> somebody and, wants that voucher, and I think it would take a little bit of nerve, but I think it was somebody that has the right amount of confidence. And it just seems like Paul Koretsky right now has the best car to start shutting it off, and that's not easy to do. We've seen it backfire against some teams before, but I think that's something that we're going to look for yeah. this weekend in qualifying when we see those pro stock cars on the track. And Greg, you know, Greg, a couple years ago, studied his ass off and pulled it off and did it. And, did it. Um, and obviously he's the guy that has the, the really the only fighting chance among anybody else. So we'll have to watch and see how he decides to play this thing um, and figure out, figure out how it's going to go. So let's move into the two nitro categories because obviously that's the real meat on the bone here. Uh, I had a media availability with the funny car drivers yesterday, Hagen, Tasca, and uh, Robert Height. Um, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know how this is going to go. Both of those, all three of these guys have cars that are evenly matched. All three of these guys have proven themselves an equal match for each other on the starting line. There is no way that I can look at those three cars and say, oh, this guy's the favorite. Well, let's start with Robert Height since he was the most recent winner. And I went back to 22, one of the most impressive wins that just it's, it's continued to echo it's sent a ripple across funny car. And I think even to the degree that some funny cars came out chasing what Cruz did yeah. in that final race of the year. But it started with qualifying because every car, every time that car went down the racetrack, it was running 84. I think the slowest run it made in qualifying was might have been an 85 or 86. But I, I let's compare Robert's numbers this past race to what Cruz did in 2022. Because that was arguably one of the most impressive funny car wins oh, of yeah. all time. Yeah. This is in the history of history of funny car. So it started with the 384 for Cruz in qualifying versus the 385 for Robert. But in the first round, Robert ran 81, Cruz ran 86. Second round, Robert ran 85, Cruz ran 87. Semifinals, they both ran 86. And in the final, Cruz ran a 383 to beat Caps. Robert ran a 385 to beat Tasca. So if you average it out, Robert Height has a slightly quicker average over the course of a race. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily in qualifying because I don't think they really missed. I don't think Cruz missed um, any run in the 80s versus, uh, I believe, Robert. Maybe have gotten down the track. So that was is just as impressive, if not a more impressive win in terms of performance than what we saw a year ago. So that's the momentum that he is carrying into the final round. Um, and, and, you know, who knows? There's a lot of ifs. What if, what if Tass's car didn't shake? He had to jump off the starting line. So, I, you know, and Hagen, it's like every time we count Hagen out, you know, they, they, they know what they have to do. I think of, of the three cars, um, you know, everyone's looking at height and everyone's looking at Tascas saying, hey, these are the two best running cars. So you shouldn't think for a minute that Dickie Venables hasn't been looking at his notes, trying to go through scenarios in his head, looking at the conditions of what he could be up against in Pomona. And I don't think there's any question that they're going to try to out-qualify um, you know, Bob Pasca yeah. because when you look at how close the points are, I think qualifying points could potentially add up. And don't think for a minute that Robert Height isn't thinking, well, if we can just out-qualify Tasca. Uh, by a couple of positions, we move into that second spot. I just, in funny car, I it's not going to surprise me to see it coming down to the final round, whether it's Tasca yes. Hagen, Hagen Height, or any of those scenarios. Uh, I think it's going to come down to a winner take all, not in the semifinals, not in the second, maybe different for top fuel, 
But in Funny Car, I, I can see it coming down to the final round, winner take all. Robert, on that media availability, uh, on his own volition, we were talking about, you know, last year or whatever, and, and he brought it up. I didn't even prompt him with it. He said, you know, you look at what happened last year. He said, Cruz Pedragon screwed it up for everybody. He said, out of nowhere, Cruz Pedragon screwed it up for everybody. And, of course, everybody meant him, uh, which I totally respect and understand. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I'm, you know, you look at this field and – Ron Caps could be that guy. You know, Caps is too far out, in my opinion, to to physically get the job done as far as a title. But we know, like, if you take the, right now, you're going to take the chains off of Ron Caps and, and Dean Antonelli, and they they have no other option but to just go ham out there and try to bury everybody as deep as they can do it in qualifying. So that is also a guy that can throw a big wrinkle in this thing. I I think Kyle Fuel is a little a little bit more. A crocodile infested but here are the biggest problems in funny car and this this really happens in both of these categories by the time you get to the second round here's the biggest problem for those top three caps force jr todd green wilkerson um those, those to me are the biggest threats i mean anything can happen with alexis and you also have Del worship in a car yes and i'm pretty sure that he's going to plug that tune-up right in so anything <laughs> right. that he wanted to try He's going to try, and so I think I think we could see some of this drama start to unfold in the second round because the competition is good, and those cars that I mentioned, uh, you know, Force in particular, really has had the best car, and had he not been so far out of the, uh, you know, out of the top three or four when it was four, um, you know, I think we'd be talking about him. But I think in terms of the car's performance. If you run into the wrong car, and if you pull back a little bit, um, you're you're at risk. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case. I just think the top three, we're talking about them for a reason. And when you look at the driver's performance, the three drivers are head and shoulders above the rest. Look, there's not Every a there's not a there's not a head case in the bunch. That's the biggest thing for me. Not one of these guys is going to a psychiatrist this week and asking what he needs to do to perform. These guys all perform under pressure. Yeah, and the only one that that comes in with the least amount of experience is Tasca. But when you go back to Tasca's, you know, career in Funny Car, it's like this guy's ready. You know, he really hasn't been in a battle to this point. But I think for the last three years, the last two years, they've, you know, they have fully started the year thinking about contending for a championship. Just didn't have the car. He's got the car. He has risen to the occasion. He got off the starting line. I mean, he built in a. a a little over a hundredth of a second. So he potentially could have beat Robert Height had their car not shaken the tires. And if you look at the three drivers, all three of them are in a rhythm. They're where they want to be. They have a very high level of confidence. I think it's going to be tough to beat any of them. And the real question may be who wants to join them in the semifinals. Is it going to be caps? Is it going to be John force based on performance? It should be one of them too. And if it is, if it is, this will, this, in my opinion, may go down as one of the toughest and most interesting, most compelling funny car chases that, that I've ever witnessed. And, you know, the last point I want to make on this is, is media was asking great questions during the availability. And one of them, that a theme that kept coming up when they were talking to Bob was like, hey, well, these guys have already done it before. You haven't. Is that like a disadvantage? And, you know, I'm the moderator of the thing, so I don't insert myself. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking to myself, he does not see this as a disadvantage. I've not asked him this question, and he gave very deferential answers. But the reality is, 
if I'm the guy who's super hungry to get my first one and I don't know anything about what it feels like to have one and I don't know what it's like to walk in there and have, you know, have the, you know, have the the, the soul ripped out of my chest by losing one in the final round, that is an advantage in my mind because, you know, E.J. Potter, the guy that rode the V8 motorcycle back in the 60s, in his book he has this great quote, and he says, ignorance is a very powerful force if you apply it at the right time. And to me... <laughs> to me, being ignorant of the pressures of understanding how bad this could hurt is a better place to be than knowing how bad it will hurt if you don't do it. When you come to the starting line at this stage of the season, when you're Robert Height, you're Matt Hagen, you've been through those battles, you've been in the trenches, you've seen it all, you've been on the winning side, you've been on the losing side. They know what it's like. That's why they rise to the occasion. There's only one way for those two to race. And that is, that is hard. That is heads up. Um, I, and so they, they've answered those questions. And I, I think Tasca has checked off every box because I look, if you look at how a driver has performed to get to this point, he checks off every box starting pre countdown. He started to win the big races. We, we saw him come to the starting line in the semifinals in the final round. And we talked about it. These are the championship matchups that he is going to have to win to get there, just to get to this point. And he won a lot of them. Yeah. He lost a couple of them, but I don't think he lost many of them because of his ability on the starting line. I mean, everybody, it's like Marshall, Marshawn Lynch said, everybody gets got once in a while. Yes. Um, but the, the name of the game is to win more than you lose. But here we are at the last race of the year. I, I just think that Tasca has, he seems to po- have positioned himself mentally. And, and I just think that every individual thinks in a different way. Um, I, I just, I don't see him falling off. I don't see him making very many, many mistakes on the starting line, car control, car gets in trouble, driver saves it, uh, car shakes, car gets the tires loose. He really seems to be honed in based on everything that we have seen prior to this. And when the countdown has started, this guy's shown up. So I, I don't think that there's going to be any any glitch with him as a driver. Yeah, and, and I look at the three of them, and it's funny. I, I'm excited to see who wins. I look at all three of them, and it's like the last three guys at the WWF or WWE Battle Royale. Like, which guy's going to throw the other guy over the top rope to – to win the thing <laughs> in top fuel i look at it way differently i mean it's it, i look at it way differently because i feel like they're the stories of the stories of robert of matt and of bob are very different than the stories of leah pruitt and doug coletta and steve torrance and and emotionally i think that top fuel final three hits me a lot different than the funny car final three for obvious reasons only one of these people actually has won a championship before let alone multiple and so we know that we know the long-suffering Doug has has been here before, and and Leah, of course, finds herself in a place where she's dreamed about being. And she brought up an interesting point that when she won the Heritage Series Nostalgia Nitro Funny Car Championship, it had rained during the reunion race, so they had to run their final or they had to run their eliminator at the NHRA final. So you know she's gone through a little bit of it there. Um, Steve Torrance and and Doug Coletta have gone through it there as well. Both of them meaning Leah and Steve left victorious and Doug has left with um you know with with a lot of different emotions over the years. So if you're looking at those three now, which one is it? Is it is Steve going to win this championship by like going to the semifinals and the other two are going to lose in the second round or is this going to be another winner take all style deal? 
I don't think it's any different than when you're sizing up a Super Bowl. You're looking at the quarterback. You're looking at the coach. You look at their level of experience. You look at Steve Richard Hogan. Doug Coletta doesn't have a championship, but he's he's been in the Super Bowl a few times on the losing end, so he's been in those battles. So has Alan Johnson. So I give those two teams, I give those two drivers and those two tuners a slight edge. Then you look at Leah and Neil. Now, I, I, I don't disagree with you because competition is competition, and, and uh, it's just a bigger stage. It's just a bigger moment. Um, you know, so I, I think there's some upsides to it, but the fact that Leah has a lot of pressure coming into this race because, um, you know, because it's the last race of the year. And, and when you look at how these drivers have performed under pressure, I, I don't think that there's, there's any question that, that Steve is good and, and, and he has the best car. Um, I, and I, I don't know if I would rate Doug's car better than Leah because Leah's car, I don't think we've seen the best of it. I don't think we've seen the best of her. Um, and as close as this matchup can be, I would have to rate Doug of the of the three. I would have to rate him the best driver, yes. uh, the quickest driver, doing the things that matter the most. Um, now, if Steve Torrance, and this is a big if, if he can fix whatever his issues have been, because when you look at his performance in in uh, in Vegas and the in the weeks the the races prior to that, uh, one eighteen reaction time means that the pressure is getting to you uh it's the same for leah you know she had a good race uh you know prior to prior to vegas she showed up when it mattered the most they 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 let her get away they gave her enough time to figure it out and she made it work i think coming into this last race you, you you can't just be good in one in one round I think you are going to have to chop some wood in every round. And that's the name of the game. That's what these drivers, when we talk about the funny car drivers, that's what they can do so well. Yep. First round, second round, semifinals, final round. You've got to bang out three pretty good reaction times, maybe even four. When I say three out of four, you can lay up a little bit and almost be smart in that first round. But if you're up against, uh, if you've got a tough opponent, you could get clipped in the first round. So these drivers really have to enter this race thinking, I, I got to do it every round. Every time I go to that starting line, it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, and, and a couple of things. I think Doug's approach on that front is stronger than the other two for the reasons you mentioned. We've not seen the big ups and downs. We've not seen a, a kind of sine wave of performance out of him. It is pretty flat line in a good way. The one thing that scares the hell out of me for Doug is the thermometer. It's going to be 80. Now, it's it's a late season 80, and it's an 80 degrees that, as we all know, for those of you that either go to the finals or watch it on TV, by the time we make it to the semifinals, that sun is down, and the temperature is dropping. And so in my mind of minds, if I if I game this out like a, like a general in a war, I'm thinking to myself, the only thing I can't do I can't lose the first two skirmishes. Just get me to the third skirmish, and then I can bring out the artillery, and we can win this thing. I just, that's the one thing that freaks me out about that car, Tony. We've seen it all year long. Like, when it gets a touch warm, that's when those guys struggle. I agree with you 100%. I don't really play videos, video games, but I've seen my son play them, and when they go to some of these these courses or you set up a car or you set up a fighter, they have strengths and they have weaknesses. Yep. And it just seems like... You know, for the strengths that Doug and his car has, the weakness may be in the second round of semifinals when we see that 
78 degree day. That means the track temperature gets to about 115, maybe 120. So that's when they get a little vulnerable. But and and maybe that's where Neil is stronger, and that's where he has been more consistent. So you know, I see. I see that pattern with all three of those drivers, but the biggest problem, and, and this I think like a lot like Funny Car, is going to be Mike Salinas. Mike Salinas just came off a race yeah. winning three sixties in every round. Every time he got down the track, I don't think a driver is going to be able to come to this race and and be second off the line three out of four rounds. I just don't see it happening. Every every now and again, we'll see a good car that'll win the race because it's the best car, not necessarily the best job of driving i don't think that they're going to be able to repeat that you've got austin proc that's running good and you go back to who was last year's winner it was austin proc and um you know and antron and Brittany is just there's so many wild cards and i think i think by the time most of these these top three that are contending for the championship you know they could well open the door for selena or justin ashley yeah, and yeah. look, it, it, this could this could go down the way it did last year, too. We're all sitting here for weeks saying, all right, well, Brittany's going to have to go to the semis to win this. And next thing you know, before she even staged the car, the whole thing was over. Yeah, and it's a tall order. Look, if it was just one or two drivers that, that had to get beaten in the early rounds, but it's not going to happen with three of them. So I think it is, yeah. it is quite the long shot. Um, and when you look at the caliber of drivers that we're talking about in that top three and the caliber of teams, while they're 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 all good, all the you know you go down to you can go down to the top ten. Every one of them is yeah. capable of winning Schumacher, and then eleventh and twelfth. I mean, so there's a battle within. But I think the top three drivers like what we see in Funny Car. They're there for a reason. They've been the most consistent. They've been the best drivers that have risen to the occasion that have won the big races. And how good would it be to see it go down to the late rounds, like the semifinals and final round? It may. And for Salinas, you mentioned uh, every run in the 360s and eliminations in Vegas. He did the same thing, believe it or not, in Texas. So that's basically two races in a row. This thing is strung together like eight runs basically straight in the 360s. So it's a great point. And, of course, Justin Ashley's right behind him. We know that story, and they just the, – the plane just refused to take off of the runway early in the countdown, and, you know, they will need miraculous things to happen in the in the heavens to open up for them to be able to <laughs> climb back into it. Um so, yeah, and look, I think uh, we're going to do an insider live from the pits um, at Pomona on Saturday. We're going to have Josh Hart and uh, and Chad Green in there because we're kind of having the spoiler show. And, you know, Josh Hart provided the, the, the perfect example in Vegas. He provided that disruptor example. And as they were backing up for their burnouts, I went through my notes real quick, and I looked down, and I realized that that car had not gone past the first round since Topeka. And lo and behold, there he goes, just knocking people out of the way, whole shot, and I'm out of town. I think Chad, Chad is such a good personality. Uh, he doesn't say much, but the way he says it, the things that he says, um, yeah, and I think he's going to be a great guest. And I think he has a car that can mix it up with, uh, you know, with some of the better cars. And um, I, I just, you know, I think when you look at Top Fuel and Funny Car, I, I think I think that, you know, that those two classes to some degree are going to overshadow, not take away from Erica what Erica has done and what Gage has done, but. You know, once again, all eyes are going to be on those two categories. And, uh, you know, I love the countdown. I know some drivers get a little opinionated, but, guys, that, that we're, we're not having that discussion about, hey, who likes the countdown? Right. Um, You're you in. Know, and it just seems, it just seems that, that that conversation seems to surface only when it works against them. 
not necessarily when it works for them. Some teams benefit, some don't. But if you watch NFL, you watch baseball, you watch basketball, every one of them has playoffs. And here we are, guys. We're we're down to the final race, and, and there's more than two drivers that are in the hunt. And what more can you ask for? Not much. Uh, one last point before I let you go. The, the rumors always start to bubble up at Pomona about different things that are happening in the offseason. Um, again, to be deferential to the guy because he's uh, he's going to be making an official announcement soon, but we are gaining a full-time top fuel car next year, and it's kind of coming out of nowhere. Uh, this is a program that's been in the works. Uh, guys have been working for years to try to get it all together, and he finally has. they got shop space. they got a crew chief. But most importantly, Tony, they're coming to Pomona to try to recruit crew guys. And we know how contentious this is getting right now. And it, labor is at a premium in this sport, which is a good thing because it means we have more cars. But uh, this could be the beginning of some very interesting off-season discussions. I think it's a good thing. We saw it fall off for a little while. And and I think when it's all said and done, it's good on several fronts. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I used to remind my crew of all the time and this is a fact, you can look it up. Money isn't the number one reason that, that a person will stay at the workplace. It's the environment. It's the culture. It's it's their coworkers. It's it's who is leading the charge. Uh, and, and so that's a good thing. If, if a lot of these teams, if they're solid, uh, you know, the financial part, it might be a close second. But what this means is that means this means that uh, that recruitment is, is going to be uh, more of a challenge than ever. And, you know, this may mean that, you know, there might be a little bit of a, of a bidding war. But, you know, we saw a lot of this last year. You know, we saw it yeah. with some of the bigger teams. And, you know, of course, Don Schumacher, he is not, you know, he doesn't have the, the, the five teams, the six teams, you know. So for a lot of years, we saw a lot of the better talent go to some of these bigger teams. And we're seeing uh, more and more of those teams that are not, you know, multi-car teams. And, um you know, I think uh, I think it's a good thing, but it's a normal thing that we see at the finals. It does, it could create a little bit of a distraction, but not necessarily for the cars that are that are in contention. They may they may be having some conversations, but you know, I think the team owners, the perspective from them has to be: Look, if you guys want to go, go. Show them the door. If there's any conversation, it's going to be a few bucks. Then be my guest. They just have to be in a position to you know to fill some of those gaps and and one of the interesting things about it is when you see some of those good players recruited that leave for other teams we see the we see the effects of that yes at the, at the first couple of races so um some of the better teams that have some of the better crew chiefs or crew chief slash tuner this is why i call him a tuner tuner is the person that makes the decisions on the car sometimes he might consult with someone or consultant or or his car chief or crew chief but a crew chief oversees the team. Yeah. So I think that's going to be a challenge for some of them. But, you know, what else? What else should we expect? That's one of the things that in, in business that you have to maybe not concern yourselves with, but that's one of the things that you have to deal with. There's always someone looking for the good guys. The, the, if you assemble a good team and you start winning races, they're, they're coming looking for you. They want to hire them. They want to buy them. But the good owners – they, they pay their employees properly. They provide uh, a nice facility, good co-workers, a good environment. And that's the number one reason that, that uh, the number one reason that a lot of these crew members um, would be motivated to stay at a team. 
I sent you this quote the other night from Anthony Bourdain, and I've often equated to fans or even on our shows about the teams operating like a restaurant where the crew chief, the tuner, is the executive chef, and his mechanics are the line cooks. And, and we both agree that this is really kind of makes sense for drag racing too. He wrote, the last thing a chef wants in a line cook is an innovator, somebody with ideas of their own who's going to mess around with the chef's recipes and presentations. Chefs require blind, near fanatical loyalty, a strong back, and an automaton-like consistency of execution under battlefield conditions and to me that's what we're going to see this weekend who can do that thing that he just said the best ultimately wins a race you know i get critical of that sometimes brian not necessarily on the show but when you and i talk and of course when we do the podcast because you know the team owner it, it just seems like there has to be a bad guy it, 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 you know I've, yeah. I've heard this from a lot well we don't like that guy well that, as long as that guy's taking care of business and i'm not going to mention any names or any teams out of respect but I see a lot of dysfunction when it comes to teams. I see a lot of lack of supervision. Uh, I see crew members. I see a lot of distractions coming into their pits, walking out of their pits, girls drinking. Can't allow any of that. You have to establish what those conditions are and those terms are going in. And the flip side of that, I see some teams that are very well prepared, that are very professional, that are very polished. And it's funny because we're talking about some of those teams. Yeah. I walk around the pits, I observe, I notice, uh, I know some of them, I don't know others, so I, I'm, I'm always a little careful to, you know, to judge anything, anyone that I don't know, but it's right there in front of you. Some teams are not buttoned up, some teams are, and the ones that are buttoned up, they are winning races, the ones that aren't, uh, you know, and, and what surprises me sometimes are, are some, of, some of the dysfunction that I see with some of the teams. What surprises me it's like, guys, you're grown men. Yeah, You're bringing that drama. You cannot work. I'm not saying you have to go to dinner with your coworker after and, and go you know go shoot some pool or play marble. I'm not asking any of it. Marbles is what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to do any of that. But for Christ's sake, guys, there's work hours. You show up to yeah. work. You do a good job. You communicate. And, and, and it's just it's amazing that even in this sport, there's not a lot of it. That happens in the workplace. But because of that, we're going to see a lot of turnover. We're going to see a lot of changes from a lot of these teams. But I'm sure we're going to focus on the race. Yes, we but are. But after the race, after the death settles, we're Game. going to see, Game we're going to see some guys back in their bag, voluntarily and involuntarily. All right, Tony, I will see you on Wednesday when I get into town. Hopefully we can uh, resume our traditional uh, Wednesday evening dinner at our favorite location in Covina and get the week started off right. Look forward to it, Brian. There will be a lot going on. And, yeah, let's start the weekend off with good conversation, maybe uh, some iced tea for me and maybe uh, something of the same color for you. Yeah, it'll be in Manhattan. <laughs> it looks like yeah. iced tea. <laughs> That's right. Look forward to it. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tony. And that is going to do it for this episode of the NHRA Insider as we prepare for what will be an absolutely epic NHRA In-N-Out Burger Finals at In-N-Out Burger Drag Strip Pomona. It really is going to be fantastic. So make sure you tune in on FS1 all weekend long, qualifying coverage. You can find our schedule on NHRA.com. But even better than that, grab a ticket. If you're anywhere near Los Angeles, near Southern California, you really need to come out. It is going to be absolutely awesome. We don't know how this thing's going to end in two of the categories. Two of them pretty well sewed up, but it promises to be one for the ages, maybe even thrown back to something like 1990, where it was Gary Ormsby and Joe Amato in that final round run to determine the top fuel champion. We might not only see that once, we may actually see it twice in Nitro Funny Car and Top Fuel. 
As always, thanks for listening to the NHRA Insider and for following NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. We look forward to coming back to you the following week to recap the finals and get ourselves set up for what promises to be a busy off-season full of twists, turns, personnel changes, and surprises. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Loans, and I'll see you next week.